don't know about you, but I can remember when with all of my heart I wanted to serve him and didn't think that God could use someone like us. Isn't it amazing that God would allow us to serve him? Mark chapter 12 and begin reading and verse 18. For those of you who are guests today, maybe you've been here in a few weeks, or but we've been going through the gospel of Mark and the last several messages and today's messages and several messages in the future all took place, all these passages took place on the same day. We're kind of breaking them up in sections because that's the way we come to them, but uh, it's really an amazing thing. If you're able to stand, we'd invite you to stand for the reading of the scripture. Verse 18 begins with these words, then came unto him the Sadducees. Now, um, so there's been these different groups have been coming to him Uh, in verse uh, 13, it was the Pharisees and the Herodians talked about that last week in the latter part of the chapter previous to this it was the chief priests, the scribes and the elders so if you could picture this visualize this it's only um, well within a day a little over a day uh, Jesus will be having the Passover meal with his disciples the day after that he will be hanging on the cross And so he's spending this long day in the temple area. Uh, Day previous to this, he had turned the the tables over and run the money changers out of the temple. So we've we've sort of have dragged this section out over several weeks, but it's all happening in in a brief period of time. And each of these groups who are coming to him are coming to him, uh, trying to catch him, trying to trying to make him look bad trying to trick him in some way. So this happens to be the Sadducees. Verse 18, Then come unto him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection. And they ask him, saying, Master, Moses wrote unto us, he's going to quote something or refer to something that's written in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses wrote unto us, if a brother's, if a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children. So this woman is a widow now. Her husband died, had, didn't have any children, but he had a brother that his brother should take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Moses wrote this. We'll actually look at this in a little while. So if you're... Uh, a man was married and didn't have any children, but he did have a brother, and this man dies, then the brother should uh, marry her and bring up children. Verse 20 says, here's the, here's the scenario of the, the Sadducees. Now there were seven brethren, and the first took a wife, and dying left no seed. So the first, hus- the first of the brothers died and had no children, So the second, and the second took her and died, 
neither left he any seed. And the third likewise, and the fourth, it doesn't say that, the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh. If I'd been the seventh, I think I'd be backing out, right? (laughs) And the seventh had her and left no seed, no children. Last of all, the woman died also. So the Sadducees are presenting this hypothetical situation. Here's the question. In the resurrection, therefore, when they shall rise, they, remember they don't believe in the resurrection, but if, if there was a resurrection and, and they rise from the dead, they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. They're, they're basically saying this can't work because when they get to heaven, she's going to have seven husbands, right? Whose wife will she be? They're trying to trick him. Jesus answering said unto them, Do you not therefore err? Because you know that the because you know that the scriptures, you know not, excuse me, because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. And as touching the dead that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore do greatly err. So we're going to look at this subject today, the God of the living, and uh, look at the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And you've heard this many times, but I still like to say it. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection, they were sad, you see. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray you'd bless our time in the word of God. Lord, it's been such a joy to be here today. Just have our hearts reminded of your goodness, your grace, your mercy. We're just thankful for it. And Father, help us today to grow in grace, grow in our understanding of your ways and your word. And I pray for those who are here today that, Lord, do not know you, that, God, their eyes could be opened, they could see your great love that you showed on the cross as we've been reminded numerous times today when you died for us. God, you sent your son to die on the cross that we could be saved, and we're grateful for that. And may Folks really understand today that it was not just for all people, it was also for each of us individually. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So the Sadducees come uh, and they bring this question. In case you're not familiar, uh, that familiar with the Gospels, there are a number of religious groups. We've talked about the, the Pharisees, we've talked about the Herodians. And uh, the Sadducees were a religious group among the Jews uh, during the time of Christ. They're really not uh, heard from after the uh, destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD because a big part of what they did had to do with their service in the temple. They were not a large group, but they were a very influential group. The primary, as you've already known, probably, or I've already mentioned it a couple of times, the primary really distinguishing characteristic of the 
Sadducees is that they, that they say there's no resurrection. We see that in verse 18. Then come unto him the Sadducees which say there is no resurrection. Um, Josephus, who was a historian who wrote during the first century and recorded historical matters, he wrote this. The doctrine of the Sadducees is that the soul and body perish together. Now that's what they believed. They didn't believe in eternal, th that people went on to live eternally. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed that when your body died, that your soul died as well. They denied any like future state, afterlife. Um, we're going to look at a couple of passages in, in Acts and come right back to Mark. But if you have your Bible and you could turn to Mark, uh, Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to see a couple of places where the Sadducees are involved with the disciples, the church that was started there in Jerusalem by Jesus and his disciples. Uh, Acts chapter 4 is a place where Peter and John um, are been brought before the Sanhedrin, brought before the council. But notice what it says in chapter 4 and verse 1 of Acts. And as they spake unto the people... The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. See, it's not incidental that the Sadducees took issue and got mad at the disciples for preaching the resurrection because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 23, if you would. Please, and here Acts chapter 23 is much later. Paul has now been arrested, apprehended in Jerusalem, and he is being brought before this, this Sanhedrin, this council, this religious council. And um, so Paul begins in Acts chapter 3 and uh, 23 in verse 1, he begins to give his testimony before them. But I want you to look with me, please, if you would, in verse 6. Paul is speaking to these religious people. He says, but when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council. Now imagine Paul doing this. Men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I'm called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Let's be turning back, if we could, to Mark chapter 12. So here, this was Paul's strategy, really. He brought up the subject of the resurrection, knowing that it would put the Pharisees and Sadducees in discord or disharmony and uh, pitted, pitted them against the Pharisees. Unlike the Pharisees, the Pharisees believed in the supernatural. The Sadducees did not. So these two groups are at odds with one another. They're not in agreement on their doctrine, but they are in agreement on this. They both want to get rid of Jesus. And we find we, the same thing. You remember that well, last week it was the Pharisees and the Herodians. They don't agree. They're not of the same mindset. Except they're unified on this one thing. They want to do in. They want to kill Jesus Christ or have him 
killed. So in Mark chapter 12, the, Pharisees, the Sadducees bring this hypothetical situation. It's their best effort. They're kind of to frame Jesus to cast doubt on the subject of the resurrection. And um, so they quote, it says in verse 19, Master, Moses wrote unto us, If a man's brother die and leave his wife behind him and leave no children, that his brother shall take his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now let's, let's take a moment, if we could, and just go to that passage. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 25. Just give you a moment to find that. The fifth book of the Bible Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All the, these five books, often called the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 25. And let's just read this and read it as it's spoken and see how the, the Sadducees are trying to use it. Deuteronomy chapter 25, and we're going to begin reading in verse 5. If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. In other words, she's not supposed to marry outside of her family, outside of her tribe. That would be a stranger. So the wife, the surviving wife, shall not marry unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. Now I want to get to six, verse 6 because this tells us the reason why. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead and that his name be not put out of Israel. So the reason for this is that uh, the older brother who died, the brother who died without children, this other brother can marry his wife and, and the firstborn, the first child, shall carry on the family tradition, shall carry on the family lineage. That's, that was very important. You know, if you're, in the Old Testament, if you read through that, you see how much importance was put on preserving the family, not just preserving the family, but preserving the property, the land that belonged to the family. And that was very important. Uh, remember there was an occasion, I just crossed my mind, when they came to Moses, some women came to Moses and said, we have this property and we're not married. What's going to happen with our inheritance? And provision was made for that. So that's the reason, you might be wondering, well, why in the world would they have this in the books? That these two brothers and one of them passed away, and, and the one that's living and not married, by the way, the, the two things you have to remember, the one that's living is not married, and the one who died had no children. So the purpose is that the firstborn would carry on the family name. Let's go back now, if you would, please, to Mark chapter 12. And um, this, this, this um, policy or this uh, principle... Um, you might remember applied in the matter of Ruth. You remember the story about Ruth. And for those of you who may not remember, uh, there was a man by the name of Elimelech. And he had his wife named Naomi. And they had two sons. And those two sons' names were Malin and Chilion. They had these two sons. They went 
And they went out of the country, and while they were gone, Elimelech, the father, died and left his wife, Naomi. And then the two sons died. And one of those daughters-in-law's name was Ruth. And so Ruth came back to Bethlehem, Judah, with her mother-in-law. Now keep this in mind. I know it's a lot of names and stuff. But the father-in-law passed away. Both the sons passed away. The mother-in-law's Naomi and Ruth is the daughter-in-law. And when Ruth came with her mother, uh, Ruth ended up marrying one of the near kinsmen to her father-in-law, Elimelech's uh, uh, near kinsman, uh, sometimes called a kinsman redeemer, and his name was Boaz. And so Bo- that's, that's a kind of, to me, a spinoff on what we're talking here today because, because um, Ruth's husband had died. Ruth marries someone in the family of her father-in-law. Uh, and by the way, his, their sons, they had a child. His name was Obed. And then Obed had a child whose name was Jesse. And then Jesse had a son whose name was David. And then many generations after David, a son was born named Jesus, who was the Messiah. So this is all a part of this policy and, uh, that we find in the Old Testament that I find very interesting and fascinating. So, so here's the scenario. In verse 22 of our text, Mark chapter 12, verse 22 and 23, if this happens and there's seven sons, seven brothers, and all of them die and then she dies, in verse uh, 23 it says, In the resurrection therefore when they shall rise, whose wife shall she be of them? For the seven had her to wife. Now they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? These Sadducees. But they're just assuming They're assuming, uh, for instance, if this woman has had all of these seven different men as her husband and they get to heaven, here's what they're assuming, and Jesus addresses this. They're assuming sort of that things in heaven are going to be like they are on earth. Nothing could be further from the truth, right? And so they're trying to use this, this hypothetical this scenario to disprove the resurrection and by the way this idea and I'm not going to belabor this point but this notion that heaven is sort of just an extension of the life we have down here is not accurate by the way I'm not looking for an existence in heaven that's just like our existence down here right and uh, so, so that's one of the mistakes they made. Some people kind of think that way even today. So what did, what did Jesus say to them? Let's look in verse 24. And Jesus, I believe, was pretty blunt in verse 24. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do you not therefore err? Now we think of the word err, we might have used it a lot, but we know what an error is when you make a mistake or you fumble the ball in baseball, it's an error. You made a mistake, and to err is to go astray. To err is to lead into, to err is to lead into an error. And so Jesus is saying to them, fellas, you are wrong. You're, you've erred. You, you've great, and if, later on he says, you've greatly erred. Now what caused them to err? Now we're getting into the, 
the meat of the text, I believe, in verse 24. Do you not therefore err because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? He said two things have caused you to err. We'll look at them individually. But first one is because you don't know the scripture. Now, they were knowledgeable about some things. For instance, they remembered this passage in Deuteronomy that we looked at earlier. So they knew some passages, but they're ignorant about what the Bible teaches about many other things, particularly about the resurrection. Just listen carefully. I want to give you a few examples of Old Testament passages. There are many. A few examples of Old Testament passages that teach the resurrection. For instance, in Daniel 12, Daniel wrote and said, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. These people who are put in the ground will resurrect, will, will answer for the way they've lived their life. Here's another one, Psalm 16. The psalmist says, For thou will not leave my soul in hell. The word there, hell, is a translated version of the Hebrew word Sheol, and 30 times Sheol is also translated as grave. So when it says hell, it's not talking about Gehenna, the lake of fire, it's talking about the grave. So it says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Clearly, an example from the Psalms about when a person dies, they go to be with the Lord. Psalm 23, you're very familiar with that, about uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Later on in the passage it says this, David said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and... I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Clearly an implication about I'm going to die. God will be with me in this life. But I'm going to spend forever in the house of the Lord. Psalm 73. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward receive me to glory. That's what the word of God says. You'll guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Now why are we emphasizing this? Because Jesus said the reason you err is... You're ignorant about the Bible. You don't know what the Bible says. Job 19, And though after my skin worms destroy this body. Think about those words. Very descriptive. Job says, After worms have eaten this body, then he goes on to say, Yet in my flesh shall I see God. Clearly teaching the resurrection. These religious leaders knew some Bible but they lacked understanding in many of God's basic truths. And by the way, it's not unusual to find people who are experts on one or two or three passages of Scripture, but ignorant about what the basic whole text is saying in the Word of God. So why did they err? Because they didn't really know the Bible. They knew that passage in Deuteronomy, but why didn't they know all these other passages in the Bible? Not only did they err because they didn't know the scriptures, but Jesus says in verse 24, 
They erred because they didn't know about the power of God. You, you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. The, Jesus knew that they did not believe that God could raise people from the dead. That God would have that kind of power. But I want to tell you, God has that kind of power. They didn't believe that God could give life after death. I mean, think about it. How could God take dead bodies and resurrect those dead bodies? That's, that's what their issue is. They didn't believe in the supernatural. But these people were religious people. These were Jewish people. They believed the Bible in part. But what about the power that created the world? What about the, what about the power that created plant life from nothing? And that created animals, the aquatic world, marine life, the sun, the moon, the stars... What a, they believe, they claim to believe this, right? Genesis chapter 1, that God created things, that God took the dust of the earth, and from the dust of the earth, he made a man, and from that man, he made a woman, and he did all of this in six days by just saying it. And yet, Jesus said, you don't believe that the God that you claim to believe in has the power to raise people from the dead? Now, here's the bottom line. These people were religious, but they were spiritually blind. They were lost. They didn't really know the Lord. And if you would think about it, this describes, I think, a growing percentage of people in our population who don't really believe in the afterlife. They don't really believe there's anything out there after you die. And you think about this. We're going to move on from this in a moment. But think about the implications of this. Think about the repercussions when a person doesn't believe in the afterlife. What if, they, if that's true, then there's no penalties for sin, sinful behavior. If there's no afterlife, there are no consequences for living in sin. If there's no afterlife, there's no reward for righteous living. Why should we sacrifice? Why should we give up things for the cause of Christ? Why should we live for God? Matter of fact, why live at all? If at the end of this, you cease to exist, why not even, why just take your life? And by the way, that's one of the reasons, not the only, but one of the reasons why suicide is becoming so much more common in our culture because people don't really believe there's anything after life, but there is something after life. There's eternity. The truth is, all of us, every last one of us, and every person who's ever lived on this planet is going to live forever somewhere. Every one of us. That's what Jesus taught. And we're all. Not some, not most, not a few, but all of us are going to stand before God. And unbelievers, whether people like to think about it, unbelievers, Christ rejectors, are going to spend an eternity in hell. And those who live for God and sacrifice for God will be rewarded for all eternity. That's the truth. 
The Bible clearly teaches, in spite of what the Sadducees believe, that all men will be resurrected. At the resurrection, at the re- and by the way, you don't, you don't just lay, you're, the person that you are, the soul of man, does not just lay in that ground until the resurrection. The moment a person dies, physically dies, their spirit either goes to heaven or it goes to hell. But one day there will be a resurrection. The resurrection of the just unto eternal reward. The resurrection of the unjust until eternal, what the Bible would call damnation or judgment. And you say, well, I just don't know that I believe that. Well, you ought to think about it and read your Bible and pray about it because that's what the Bible teaches. All of us will be resurrected. Matter of fact, those of us who are saved have something great to look forward to because we're going to get a brand new body. I don't know if it meant this much to me when I was 20 or 30, but the older I get, the more that means to me. This one's wearing out. This is what Paul wrote to the Philippians. He said that God shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. We're going to get a brand new body. You won't ever see me holding my eyeglasses in heaven because I won't need them, amen? And you won't need a walker or a cane because we're going to get brand new bodies. That's wonderful to think about. So the Bible teaches all of this. The resurrection is a vital, integral part of the gospel message. You know, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He said this, I declare unto you the gospel. A couple of verses later, he said what the gospel is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again according to the scriptures. You can't afford to be wrong on the resurrection. There may be some things you don't have to be right on, but you have to be right on the resurrection. Without the resurrection, you have no gospel. Matter of fact, Paul wrote in that same epistle, if there be no resurrection, then we are of all men most miserable. So what's, why is it that they were wrong? Let's look again at, verse, at our text in Mark chapter 12 and verse 25. So Paul, uh, P, uh, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus says in verse 25, for when they shall rise from the dead, he said, you don't, you're wrong because you don't believe in the scriptures or the power of God. For when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are as the angels which are in heaven. In other words, the hypothetical that you gave me, the scenario you gave me, doesn't even make sense. Now this, if you've never thought about this, you ought to think about this for a moment. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place, but one thing that will not be the same in heaven is we will not be in our family units in heaven. Let's just say it that way. That doesn't mean you won't know who your husband or wife was. It doesn't mean you won't know who your parents were. But you're not going to live husband, wife, and kids and grandkids all in one mansion. Because in heaven, we're going to be, Jesus went on to say, we'll be like the angels. Look there in verse 25. But are as the angels which are in heaven. And in verse 26 says, um, no, let's stay stay with verse 25. We'll get to 26. So in heaven, there's not going to be any marriage. So sad you see the whole premise of what you said 
is wrong. We're going to be like the angels. We're talking about angels on Sunday evenings. We've been talking about that. And by the way, this is another important thing just to think about. Remember we read in the book of Acts that the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, nor do they believe in angels. So Jesus said, we're going to be like those angels that you don't believe in. We're going to be eternal heavenly beings. We'll enjoy unceasing worship and service to God. We'll know each other, but it will not be in that marriage type relationship. Angels don't get married. Angels don't reproduce. We're going to be like the angels in that regard. Would there not be family as we know it now? I, you know, when I get to heaven, I'll know my grandmothers that love the Lord. I'll know my mother that love the Lord. We'll know friends. That lo- but we're not going to all be segregated into our families, if I could say it that way. Um, so he goes on to say in verse 26, and we'll wrap this up. And as touching the dead that they shall rise, have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spoke unto him, taken from the book of Exodus, of course, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Very important language structure there. He says, he refers them to this time in the uh, Exodus chapter 3 when Moses uh, the Lord revealed himself into this burning bush and, and, and introduced himself in this way. God did. That he is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And the language is, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was. Not I was. This is centuries, by the way, after Abraham died. Centuries after the... Um, patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had gone, and yet he said, he's speaking the present tense. When, when he spoke to Moses, he said, I am Abraham's God. The point be, he didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, I am the God of Abraham. And Jesus, you say, well, you're just, you're just saying that's what that means. No, that's what Jesus said it means. That I, I'm the God of the living. These men are still living. Even though, even though they died Centuries before Moses, Abraham, he says, I'm there, I, they're living today. Abraham's alive today and I'm his God. Isaac is alive in heaven, I'm his God. And so he says that I am the God of the living in verse 27. And he ends this discussion with them in verse 27 with these final five words. You therefore do greatly err. So Jesus presents himself to those who do not believe in the hereafter as the God of the living. Now I want to tell you, I want to kind of point out some things about this and we'll be concluded. First of all, this is to me such an inspiring confession. First of all, God is eternally alive. He is living. He's the author of life. He gives life. God gives life in the womb to every child before it's born, he's, he, is, he gives them life. And to all who have ever lived, even pre-born children who died in the womb, all of them will continue to live forever. Every person that ever received natural life from God will live forever. And, and not only does he give us physical life, he gives us abundant life. John chapter 10 
He gives us full and meaningful life. So he will always be eternally the God of the living. Amen? Now, just to review a, little, a, a point or two, this passage, and I think to me this, this could be so important for all of us to think about for a moment. This passage holds a reminder uh, of the importance of the Scripture because that's why they were wrong. They were wrong because they didn't know the Scripture. And I'm not saying this to be harsh or critical, but there are a lot of religious people who are going to have a stark awakening when they die because they thought things were so, but they're not so in the Bible. We need to know what the Bible says. The per- Listen, the purpose of Bible study is not to find passages that support what we believe. The purpose of Bible study is to find out what God believes and line up with what God says, not try to find verses that support us. And a lot of people have that messed up, I think. And then thirdly, we're reminded of the faith that we need to have in our powerful God. He says, you mess up because you don't know the power of God. They didn't believe in the power of God. We serve a powerful God. And it's good to be reminded periodically that God can do anything. And one of the great miracles of God is going to be this. For people who've already gone to heaven or even for people who've already gone to hell. That in the resurrection, their bodies are going to be miraculously resurrected and reunited with their spirit and soul. And they're going to live forever with resurrected bodies either in heaven or in hell, according to the Bible. God, you say, how does that happen? God can do that. God is almighty. God, God sees us. God knows us. God hears our prayers. And God can do anything. I find great hope in this passage for the future. You know, just a short time, as I said earlier, after this, uh, Jesus himself is going to die on the cross. But he's going to raise from the dead. As a matter of fact, just a short time prior to this, Jesus stood at the grave of Lazarus who had been dead for days. And just with this simple command, Lazarus come forth, that dead man appeared in the opening of that place where his body had laid. I'm telling you, there's great hope for our future. Remember what, what Jesus said to the family of Lazarus before he raised Lazarus from the dead? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Yea, he that liveth and believeth in me, Jesus said, shall never die. Our bodies will give up, but we'll never die. You know, it's good to know today that this is not all there is. Aren't you glad about that? I mean, this is a good life. And and it's wonderful to have a, a a Christian family, and to have brothers and sisters in Christ. But this is not all there is. This is not all there is. There's a a forever that God has planned for us. But it's also true that for those who do not accept Christ, for those who do not repent, put their faith in Jesus Christ, believe on Jesus Christ, 
they will experience eternal pain and torment, according to the Bible. The Bible's not vague about that. The Bible's not silent about that. The wicked shall be turned into hell, the Bible says in Psalm 19. The wicked shall be turned into hell. In Luke's gospel, when Jesus told the story of the rich man in Lazarus, it said this about the rich man, that he died and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. That's the Bible. There's nothing more important than this. For the Christian to know you're going to heaven, that God is preparing a place for us, that we will indeed be rewarded for the life that we've lived for Jesus Christ. I mean, that is so important to us. Sometimes people get tired and weary and ask themselves, is this really worth it? Is this really worth it? You know, it's like we're swimming upstream in a, in a, in a current of a world that's turned against God more and more. I want to say to you, for every child of God, yes, it'll be worth it. We heard in song today about casting those crowns, those rewards at the feet of Jesus. It'll be worth it. We need to keep that in mind. But we also need to realize for those around us in our family, our neighborhood, and where we work, and our friends, eternity's a long time. If nothing else motivates us to try to warn people and witness to people, it ought to be this. They're going to live forever somewhere. You know, I was thinking about this last night in preparation for this message. This can't happen. This won't happen. But if somehow every one of us could have just a moment to look into the life hereafter, I believe it would change all of our lives in a radical way to see what heaven's going to be like, to see what it's going to be like to be rewarded for living for Jesus, to see the eternal judgment on those that are unsaved. We'll never see that with our physical eye, but we see it in the Bible. It's in the Word of God. You know what I think? I, I think if I could see that, I would love and serve God even more fervently than I do now. I believe we'd do more to reach people with the gospel. And I believe those that are sitting in this room today and others that we know that are unsaved, they would run to the cross. They would run to the foot of Jesus and cry out for his mercy. But you know what? We live like this is all there is, right? This is not all there is. This is not even a drop in a bucket. This is not even a drop in the ocean, this life. Compared to eternity. Eternity is forever. You ought to think about that. People don't like to think about it. They don't like to focus their minds on it. But if you're today and you don't know the Lord, you ought to make this your first priority. I've got to get this matter settled. I've got to make sure I'm going to heaven. Because I'm going to be somewhere living forever. And if you're going through life as a Christian and living like it doesn't really matter how you live, you ought to think about this. It does matter. It does matter. And if you're looking for a reason to witness, if I'm looking for a reason to tell the gospel story, to support missions, to pray for missionaries, for people you don't even know around the world, this is a good reason. Because when they die, they're going to go somewhere forever. Amen?
These Sadducees erred greatly because they didn't believe what was after death mattered. But we're not like those people. We know that what's after death matters greatly. Amen? Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Thank you for being so attentive to God's word today. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Would you think about this message? Think about this teaching of Jesus to these Sadducees. And I doubt, personally, seriously, I doubt if there's a person here today that does not believe in the hereafter. I doubt if there's anyone here today who would reject the teaching of the resurrection. But hear what I'm about to say. Sometimes we live that way. We live as though this is all there is. We live as though we're not going to be rewarded for living for God. We live as though there'll be no consequences for rejecting the gospel. So in essence, in a practical way, we're a lot like the Sadducees. If you're here today and not saved, you ought to come to Christ today. And if you don't come forward in this invitation to talk to someone, and I would invite you to do that, you ought to at least talk to somebody after services. Talk to someone that you respect and you know. Say, I need help with this. Our Father, as we think about this passage today, I'm, I'm glad that the Sadducees came up to you or came up to Jesus in the temple court and asked about the resurrection and presented this foolish scenario, this baseless hypothetical because it gave you the opportunity, Lord, to say some things that we need to hear. So I thank you for that. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to personalize it. If we really believe in the hereafter, help us to live like it. Help us to make decisions based upon that. Help us not to forget it. While our heads are bowed, Today, and while eyes are 